Women's K Talk YA now presents Kingsbane from the Imperium Trilogy by Claire Legrand. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we are discussing the second book in the Imperium Trilogy by Claire Legrand. The first book was Furyborn, and this week we're here to discuss Kingsbane. Book two of three, but it feels like, because all of these books have been really long. I forget how long the first one was, but it was over 500 pages, right? Yeah, I think it was like nearly 600. And this one was... About the same. Over 600. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the third one, let's look and see what the third one is. It's massive. It, it looks big. Whew. It is 565 pages. And I always have mixed feelings about really long books because on the one hand, I want to live in the world as long as possible and it like makes everything last longer. But I also get like really intimidated just mm-hmm. by like picking them up or like it just feels like so much work, even if I know I'm only going to read five pages and it like doesn't matter how long the book is if I'm going to read for, you know, 10 minutes, but it like intimidates me or something. <laughs> it takes longer to read it, but it also takes longer to like get myself pumped to read it. I totally agree. It's just, it's a mental like undertaking when you pick up a book that's that long. Like I just finished the Priority of the Orange Tree, which was fantastic, but it was 800 pages long. And I remember just thinking like, okay, I have to gear up to read this. And I was so afraid, like, what if I don't like it? Like it's such a long time to be in a world if you're not super excited about it. Maybe that's it. But I'm liking this world. And especially with this, because we're kind of in two worlds, the switching back and forth. But I don't know, I just like couldn't make myself make progress because I was like intimidated by how big it is. But I got through it. (laughs) Good. Me too. Let's jump in. Shall we start with Riel again? Yeah. Because we get another bit of a prologue and this is when we actually see Simon with Eliana as a baby and we see him losing his power and being found by the prophet. So I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this setup where we get a little prologue and then it jumps into the story. I just have so many questions about the prophet Mm -hmm. and especially what we know about Simon by the end of this book. I want to know even more of his backstory. But yeah, I agree. That's a nice setup. And and we did get, it still was mostly Riel and Eliana's perspective, but we did get a few chapters from other characters' point of view throughout the book this time, which I don't think we had any last time, right? No. And how did you feel about that? Because I was surprised. I think we got so we got Corian, Simon, Navi, and then did we get we got a Ludovin chapter, I think? And we even got a Harkin chapter, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. But everyone it was like only one chapter for each of them. I enjoyed getting other people's perspective right. and it usually was telling something that we couldn't have gotten from Eliana or Riel's point of view. But it was almost so rare that it like pulled me out of it. Did it add something? Yeah. I agree. I find the one off POV chapters a little bit jarring. I just feel like there is a way to tell everything you need to tell with sticking to your primary point of views. Like I, it made it feel a little bit like disorganized to me. Maybe because the books were already so long and then it was like the one thing that I had like grounding me was like these alternating point of views. And then when we started adding in other people and then there were so many other characters that we learned about too, I started getting a little, it started just feeling a little chaotic to me. Yep. 
Well, and I'm sure we'll go into this more. This is not talking about Riel, but I forgot another thing that I struggle with in movies and books that we haven't talked about a lot is the rules of time travel. And <laughs> after we actually did have that scene where Eliana goes back and visits mm-hmm. Riel and then comes back and it impacted the timeline, that was when we had Jessamine's chapter, but she was no longer an ally. But things like that, that's another one of those, like, I get caught up in, like, well, if if you went back, then you would have already been back, so how to, I don't know. I just, like, I find the rules of time travel in TV, movies, books. It makes my brain hurt a little bit. Yeah, I, I struggle with that one a little bit, but... But back to Riel, sorry. Yeah, so she she may not be the Sun Queen anymore. She may be starting to realize, or the people may be starting to realize that she's the Blood Queen too. She's had kind of a rough book this go-round. For sure. Well, it doesn't help that the book opens with someone trying to assassinate her. Yeah, and not just someone, right? Corian is like the weirdest. He like is obsessed mm. with her and attracted to her and so manipulative and so... I like, I don't like their relationship. Ew, no, me either. It's terrible. I mean, it started off bad in the first book where she was, like, weirdly attracted to him, but also wary of him, and he was manipulating her. And now it's just full-on abusive at this point. And it's like, I feel like she's so smart Mm -hmm. in certain ways, and she's, like, letting him... Like, I get that he's appealing to her, like, desire for power and, like, telling her certain things she wants to hear, but I also feel like she's so easily swayed by him in a way that almost doesn't feel true to her character to me. Yeah, that's a good point. And I chalked it up to the fact that, like, he's an angel and he's very powerful, and, like, as strong as she is, like, it's still a different level of power, so... I kind of, you know, gave her a pass for that. I keep reminding myself about how before this these books took place, like she was she was like hiding everything about herself. Her dad was like withholding affection to just like she had like a really rough life. Like even though we've kind of focused on her friendship with Audric and Ludovin, which I think is a strong friendship, and that's sort of the main other relationship, which I think I keep being like, wait, she can like stand up for herself here. She like is loved and cared for. But then I have to remind myself, like, actually like most of her life before this point was she she wasn't really given much freedom or much control or any of that yeah and I think that's where Corian is really starting to you know get under her skin and kind of get his claws in where he keeps telling her like if you're with me you don't have to answer to anyone yeah I just wish the sexual stuff would stay out of it I think I like it more I agree I really didn't like that scene where he like forces himself on her and then she comes back and then like Audric is like weirdly jealous and they have that like weird power sex scene it made me feel squirmy yeah agreed this is probably a series with more sex than most of the series we've read for sure and i do feel like especially with ya i think it's fair given like the age and the characters and like like i mean it doesn't seem weird to me that they're having sex but i feel like usually we kind of like allude to it and we don't see it see it as much yeah (laughs) yeah i would say this book reads more like new adult than YA. Yeah, the sex is very graphic. And I thought the first book, it was done very well. But I would agree that in the second book, there's a couple scenes that left me a little uncomfortable. With Riel and Audric, I still felt like everything was still consensual. But there were definitely some weird emotions going on that made it feel a little bit problematic. Well, and I think I I want more out of their relationship than just the sex. It sort of feels like they don't communicate well, but they keep coming together in the bedroom, which I sort of get. But like they also like have been friends for so long. Like I just I want more for them than that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think it's interesting too how Riel's relationship with Ludovin has 
has really changed in this book. Now that we know that Ludovin's an angel, like we have these moments and there are many of them where you can tell that Riel doesn't really trust Ludovin very much anymore or I mean she still does but it's it's definitely a little bit more messy and complicated because she knows now that Ludovin can like listen to her thoughts and like send messages back and forth telepathically and she's an angel which they've been kind of raised to not trust um so it's been interesting to see that change in this book too and she's been keeping a lot of secrets like i don't really i think she does deserve some i mean there's still a lot of love and affection there but i don't think lou deserves like unwavering Loyalty. alliance yeah. yeah no i agree she has been keeping a lot of secrets especially when you think about the fact that like it's not like this is literally their friend has been an angel the whole time this angel took over their friend's body right. when she died like it's it's not like oh we just didn't know this one fact about you it's like again a lot of lies and a lot of like kind of weird <laughs> stuff happening here and I think, like, the big thing at the end was Brielle really didn't like that Ludovin kept the secret of how the angels ended up yep. behind the gate. That was, I really liked learning about that. I thought that was fascinating. The world building as a whole is, like, I, I, lo- I really enjoy it. Oh, my gosh, me too. And it's, I like that this other realm kind of exists. So there's, like, behind the gate, there's other worlds. But this area where the angels were kept in was, like, a fold between the worlds. Mm-hmm. And the angels thought that it was going to be this beautiful lush place that they were going to and instead it was just like a void and I have so many more questions I not in a bad way like I think I'm hoping we get more of this in book three and I feel like the reveal has been appropriately Mm -hmm. coming out but because the saints knew this and tricked them but then we also had this saint angel like romance thing between I forget which saint it was and that angel is the one who like betrayed them and like I'm just kind of I want to hear more about this like we've been in the second age and the third age or whatever I want to hear more about this first age where the angels and the humans were yeah but I liked that we got kind of an origin story for why the angels and humans were enemies and why the angels feel so betrayed by the saints. I mean, that's like, we needed that piece. Yeah, I don't blame them. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> um, And so now uh, the gates that's keeping the angels secure is breaking down, and Riel really didn't help matters. <laughs> How old is she supposed to be again? 17. Okay, is she really that young? I For some reason I was thinking, wait, she's actually older than that, but maybe I, that makes more sense if she's like 17 or 18, because she's so driven by her emotions right now. By all the time. She's like quick to anger, quick to... React. Yeah. And even like, I think what was really sad was when her horse was freaking out. like Her god's beast. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't touch the gate. And she like restrained the horse and was like not listening to her. And like tries to touch the gate and ends up almost killing herself and then like weakening it greatly. And to your point, like the horse didn't do anything bad. I sort of get her frustration with some of her friends and the people... But the horse, the flying horse thing, <laughs> it just, like, loves her and helps her out. Yeah, and I'd be like, this mythical creature probably knows more than you, and if it's trying to warn you, like, maybe listen to it. <laughs> I do love, though, again, like, last book was about the trials, which was cool. Mm-hmm. This book, she's trying to get the uh, castings of all the saints, and even before that, she's just, like, on more diplomatic missions. So we're seeing more of the world and these other, like, royal families and government structures and I love at the beginning of the chapter still now we've gotten a lot of um, Prince Ilmer's letters to Audric and I don't know why I like love their friendship (laughs) I wrote that in my notes this bromance is I'm living for it right now it is so great I just love so much about it like I love that like you said we're seeing 
this other area of the world. So we're, we're in Borsvel now. And I just love this setup where it's like, there are two princes who like both just lost their dads and they're trying to figure out how to like how to rule this kingdom and they've been like historic enemies but they both believe that they're better off being allies yeah and they both have such good intentions towards each other and they're both like being kept apart by forces so like and they're both nerdy (laughs) they both like love knowledge and like (laughs) they're both like really bookish and i feel their vulnerability for like how much pressure is on them to rule this kingdom. Prince Ilmer, especially uh, his sister Ingrid, leads the army and she's very quick to anger and doesn't trust Audric. And I was just, I felt bad because I was like, these two boys would be best friends if they weren't in this awful situation. Because you can see them like trying to have this friendship and they would be such a great team if they could just work together. I'm like, I love their friendship so much. Oh, and you know, that's what bugs me about Riel too, because she's like so frustrated with how being Sun Queen means that she has like a duty to the country and she like kind of blames Audric for it, but she like never remembers that Audric is kind of in the same boat. Like he can't just do whatever he wants because he's like the crown prince, you know, like totally. if anything, they should be like talking to each other and understanding and relating to each other instead of her like blaming him for everything. Yeah. And then, okay, so we, and we did get the casting from Boresville. Yes, Boresville, yes. And we only got it because Riel, like, stopped that tidal wave. (laughs) (laughs) Which, again, sometimes we say, what scene would we want to see? I think that would be a really cool scene. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm totally with you. I would love to see that. And then we went to, is Mazabot where we went next? Does she only have, like, two or three castings right now? I don't know how many she has, but... I, like, can't keep track for some reason. Corian gives her one. Yeah, Corian gives her uh, Marzana's casting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay, this was one thing that I totally didn't buy. I get that finding the castings is, like, it's the goal, but it's not, like, really the bulk of the book. Like, there's so much more than that. Yeah. The one thing that kind of irritated me was the back and forth about giving Riel the castings or not. People being ready to die before giving it to her. Well. Like, that kind of stuff. Not even that, but, like, we know she needs these castings in order to repair the gate. Like, she's trying to save the kingdom, and people are, like, digging in their heels and not giving her the castings. Especially Audric's mother, when she was, like, slut-shaming her, and she was like, well, I'm blaming you because you ended my son's betrothal to Ludovic, so I'm not giving you the Saint's casting. And I was like, really? Like, you're going to let this grudge prevent you from helping your kingdom like that felt it's even bigger than the king it's like literally the world humankind right yeah Yeah. and again it's not even like a we believe we need to do this like the world is falling apart they're having all these storms and weird everyone's in agreement that the gate is in danger but they're not willing to risk this yeah i agree and I guess the one one of the Obexes, like the guards, that one of them was like, well, I don't want to give it to you because I feel like you have to prove yourself worthy to wield them. And that I kind of bought a little bit more. But when, I mean, with Audric's mother, I was just like, why are you standing in her way? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, I get that from a plot perspective, you have to create tension and obstacles and conflict you know, it can't be just super easy for Riel to collect these castings. I just wish that the obstacles and conflicts had been, like, more believable. Like, they just didn't seem believable to me. Or even all that interesting. And, I mean, I don't know because I'm not a queen who thought that my son was going to marry my niece for my entire life. But her son is so happy. Like, Yeah. yeah. And also perspective. Like, come on. <laughs> 
Um, we also met some other characters in Riel's story. So we met Obritza, the girl queen, who I really liked her. She's the one who can time travel, or not, uh, she's the half she's angel, the Mark, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked meeting her. And then... We met another princess somewhere else, right? Yeah, Princess Kamayan. I think the one thing I was disappointed about was we have all these other additional characters who I'm really interested in, and we just didn't really get to spend a lot of time with them at all. It was it kind of started to remind me a little bit of Ember in the Ashes, where we just had all these additional characters, and they were just so fleeting. Like I, I wish that we had been able to spend more time with some of these secondary characters just to get to know them a little bit better well especially i was really interested in that whole like oh we have a human queen i didn't realize that humans and elementals there was like some divide there until we got to that country and that's kind of interesting to me because initially i thought that humans just had different levels of elemental power i didn't realize that we had angels elementals and humans i totally agree i i didn't know that either and the only indicator that that was the case was when we learned that obritza her job is to unseat the elementals who have ruled the country. She's like an, a special operative for like the human revolution. And I was like, oh, there's a human revolution? Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious, like, is it just in their country? Or like, how does this play into what's happening in Calderia and stuff? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but I thought that was a cool idea to introduce. But to your point, it was like kind of background fact. And to me, it was like, wait, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, this is a huge piece. I think my favorite new character that we met was definitely Ilmer. Yeah. He was a big highlight for me in this book. <laughs> it was those little vignettes at the beginning of the chapter with their letters back and forth that like really endeared him to me. Yeah. I really liked the one where he said that all humans aren't goodness or badness and a huge problem right now is they're trying to reduce Riel mm-hmm. to that choice. And he was like presenting her with two impossible and inhuman extremes is cruel and it will be her undoing. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, you're so wise. How are you? You're 17 and you're so wise. <laughs> but then also, so she is human, but she's an elemental. What? I want to know more about this human elemental thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's, I mean, that is the whole reason why Corian started the war on humans. Because he was jealous that... They had powers, right? Yeah. That, yeah, that they were granted elemental powers to humans that were like so much lower than angels that's like the whole reason for this rift so yeah i think it's fair that we we want to know a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) and hopefully we will well yeah because i bet we're gonna get like the whole backstory now because at the very end we get the revelation about at riel's wedding talk about like weddings gone wrong like the biggest high and the lowest low or whatever yeah (laughs) and an hour time span so corian reveals what actually happened during the fire trial and shares with Audric that Riel killed his father on his wedding day, which is a real bummer. And instead of being mad at him, she runs off with him. What? I don't get it. I know. Well, he. I mean, Audric did call her a monster and basically rejected her, so she left him and fled to Corian. But I, I liked that immediately Audric was like, oh my god, what did I do? Like, I thought it was believable that he was angry at first. I mean, give the boy some time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like... <laughs> You killed his father and lied to him about it, and he just found out in front of the whole kingdom, and he's processing, like... I mean, I can't even imagine on your wedding day finding out that the person you're marrying is the person who killed your dad. Like, that's... Of course he's going to react poorly, like... And again, you lied to him about it. Like, I just feel like she's so selfish sometimes, and I'm like... (laughs) I mean, I think his reaction...
reaction was fair. I still think even if she was mad at him, I feel like she also just went so extreme. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like she should be more mad at Corian than she is. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sure that is what will happen. I'm like, I'm, I I think Riel's just having a bad moment too, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. She is really trying her best and it's a lot to bear. Like, she's having an entire kingdom turn on her too. Yeah. And she's, probably terrified because like I, I love that scene where she kills all the obexes like yeah she tries to save one of the men and she ends up like dismembering him accidentally and mm-hmm. when she went to the village yeah and then she kills all the obexes and I think this is a scene I would have liked to see when she's she emerges with the casting that she needs but she's just covered in blood like Carrie style covered in blood and there's that moment where everyone's just looking at her like oh my god this is the blood queen and I just that like gave me chills like that was really well done and just that visual of her literally covered in blood and people starting to realize that she isn't who they think she is that was really good I just wish someone would help her explore her power in a healthy way. <laughs> well, speaking of that, we have Eliana, who is, is having some guidance, <laughs> learning her powers. Zara is trying to get her to hone her skills and practice, and Eliana's very nervous about that because she doesn't want to hurt anyone. She does not want to turn out like her mom. Of course. Yep. Yeah. I mean, who would, given that track record? And Eliana's main goals in this book were to learn her skills, forge a casting, and she also is really driven by her desire to save her friend, Navi. At least at the beginning. I sort of feel like her whole story shifted once Harkin kidnapped her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It started out with her wanting to save her friend. Which she did. And then I guess we did have that chapter. So we, we do know that Navi survived and is like in hiding. But then we like didn't reconnect with her at all. And I'm also I know. excited. I hope that comes in book three somewhere. Yeah, I hope her and her, she and her brother are okay. Because their fathers are not okay. Nope. At least as far as we know. They were killed in the invasion. But I think Malik and Navi are still okay, but just MIA at the moment. Yeah, they at least got away. Yeah. And then Harkin comes back, and we totally called it. Yep. <laughs> and she's really not into him, which, again, I just felt I felt really bad for him at first, because like he sacrificed himself so she could escape, and she... I feel like she kind of got rid of him very easily. Well, and I, it's one thing if she's not like, doesn't want to date him, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. But I felt like they had such a strong friendship at the beginning and like had been through so much. And I sort of felt like she didn't even want him around. And that kind of bothered yeah. me a lot. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Like, okay, you don't need to go and sleep with him if you're not, you don't owe him anything in that sense. But like, this guy has done so much for you and you guys have been through so much together. And you're telling him a lot of stuff. Like, I get that he's maybe not reacting the way you'd ideally like, but this is like wackadoo stuff that you're telling him and he's still there supporting you. Like, give him, I don't know. Yeah, and it was almost like she couldn't figure out how to be there with him without there being like a sexual component. And that kind of made me wonder, like, how good friends were you? Like, I don't, I don't really know. And like, yeah, yeah I, you're totally right. Like she has every right to be like, I'm not no longer interested in you. I'm with someone else. But the fact that she was just so cruel to him. Yeah. From a yeah. friend standpoint, I was just like, Oh, I, I didn't expect that. And if you are into someone else, just be like, Hey, I like Simon. <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were dead. <laughs> Let's be friends. <laughs> and then Harkin does something pretty bad. 
I mean, he's trying to save. I get that he's like trying to save her and, and doesn't want anything to happen to her, but he like drugs her to get her to safety, and she just wakes up and she's like, yeah. "That was not cool, Harkin." And I feel like on the flip side, I sort of feel like they got over that part quickly. I don't know. Like she was so mad at first, and then by the end of this part, like she's. I sort of felt like they needed to have a moment after that where they like yelled at each other and then got through it instead of just like moving on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There were certain moments in there. Real- I, like, really like them as friends and, like, like this idea that even though she seems like she doesn't care about anybody, she has these, like, pretty strong relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that, like, his intentions were good. Like, he didn't want Simon to use her as his weapon. But I just feel like he shouldn't have robbed her of her agency. Like, she still gets to make a choice. And taking her from her brother was... If you're going to kidnap right. her, kidnap her brother, too. <laughs> Is that <laughs> yeah. a bad thing to say? You shouldn't kidnap people, but if you do... <laughs> Take your siblings. Okay. And wait, I forget. So then at the end, when we did get that chapter from his point... So is he now dead? Harkin? Yeah. I had that question, too. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I feel like he was dying, but I couldn't tell if he, like, actually survived or might have survived. I'm not sure. One thing I'm sure of is two people who we thought were friends are no longer uh, allies. They are straight up enemies. Yep. So, Jessamine and Simon. Ooh. Did you see that coming? Uh, no. Although, I'm still confused. Was Simon always on the other side, or is it because of something they changed in the timeline? Whoa, I didn't even think of that. I don't know. I mean, I we know Jessamine is an angel who's working for the Empire. She's an Invictus. But Simon... I thought she was a human working for the Empire. Is she an angel? I'm unclear on that. I thought she wanted to, like, be promoted to an... I, I honestly was confused by, by that because I didn't think she had angel powers or whatever. I thought she was, like, trying to prove herself to the angels. Yeah, maybe she's just working for the Invictus. Yeah, but she's definitely on the Empire side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Simon's power woke up at the same time that Eliana's did. The whole time he's, like, trying to lead her to freedom. Like, she, he's trying to get her out of the situation, or so she thinks. And then we realize that he's actually leading her to, to, the, to the Emperor. Yeah. Well, the Admiral, I guess. Is the Admiral the Prophet? I don't know. I think, I don't think we've been revealed who the Prophet is, but I feel like it has to be someone we know now, so maybe? Well, because the, the Admiral, we learn at the end, is Eliana's father. Yeah, who went missing during the war a billion years ago. So my question with that, though, is, was it always her dad, or was her dad's body repossessed by some angel? Well, that's a good question. I like am getting confused by who people are. And then the timeline switch thing really threw me for a loop because I feel like we talked about how it can impact things, but it's not clear what actually got impacted, especially like, like Mm -hmm. I said, I can't tell if Simon, because it was after we went back in time that we revealed that Simon was in league with the Empire, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell if he always was and that was just a timing thing or if something about the shifting timeline shifted everything. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I I don't know if it shifted everything because I had a moment where I was questioning Simon's loyalty at the beginning of this book. Remember when Zara was captured in the box? Yep, and he denied knowing anything about it. Exactly. And there was a moment where she was like, if he knew about it, why would he have hid that from me? And so that's, I had a moment where I was like, ooh, I don't know if we can trust Simon. Yeah, I agree. I've never fully trusted him. Maybe never is the strong word. Without knowing more about the prophet, I don't believe he's always been telling the full truth, but I didn't expect what happened to have happened after how close they had become. (laughs) 
Because he really seemed like he loved her. Like, almost to the point. But that was the other thing. I was almost like, you're, like, obsessed with her. Yeah. And That's a good I point. almost, like, don't trust when people... Have that level of infatuation. Like, say all the right things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good yeah. point. The other thing that I thought was a little weird was when Eliana and Zara go to the underground market to get the crawler antidote. That seems odd to me. Just the fact that there was an antidote for the crawlers, I, that seemed like really convenient to me. Did that bother you at all? Yeah. And then also the fact that there were like eight of them, but then they all worked equally well or something. Or they just happened to pick the right one first. I feel like something should have made something worse first. Or I don't know. Yeah. And also just like, why would there even be an antidote for like, I don't understand why an antidote would even exist because these crawlers are intentionally created for the empire. Like, it's not like you need an antidote for like a snake that might accidentally bite you and like you need to be saved from that. Like these creatures were like intentionally created. And it's a huge process. Yeah. Yeah. Like why would there even exist something that could magically undo it? Like why would you want to and why would they go to the effort of like even creating that? Maybe just black market. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. I just felt like in this book some of the obstacles felt questionable like I know every you know every character needs obstacles to like get in their way but like the ones that we got here I didn't fully buy yep well and we got introduced again to like other characters like that's when Zara did get trapped in the box mm-hmm. and now she's out of the box but we haven't heard anything about her experience in the box like is that the <laughs> same stuff that the blade was made out of that like Lou had a ongoing physical reaction to until Riel healed her yeah. So I was expecting when she came out to have some kind of lingering effect. Scar, yeah. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, you know what's kind of a shame is, I don't know, I feel like as much as I did enjoy being in this world, I felt like the book could have been a good 200 pages shorter. And I think one thing that I noticed was a lot of this book was explanations or um, basically rehashing or summarizing things that already happened. I don't know if you felt that way, but I just remember like we would see a scene and then we'd have a whole scene where they would go home and explain the scene that we just saw. Like in front of the queen, they were like, well, this is what happened when we touched the gate. Or Riel would try to save a man and then she would explain what happened when she tried to save the man. Like there was a lot of seeing the scene and then getting a summary of it Mm -hmm. afterwards. And I just kind of felt like it wasn't space that was extremely well used. Yeah, I think I think we could have cut out 200 pages and not hurt the story too much. Yeah, or or keep the 200 pages and like give us more time with some of these secondary characters yeah. just so we care about them a little bit more. But I am curious where we're going from here. I'm invested. I think it's cool that Riel and Eliana did see each other, but they didn't actually get to have their conversation yet. Although yeah. I have a lot of questions about going back in time and that messing up timelines and the circular nature of all of that but I'll I'll hold on to that for now I mean I love the idea I love the idea of like hey let's go back and meet my mother and try and prevent her from unleashing the angels like that's a great way to make this world be healed like if you can go back and prevent them from even being released I love that yeah but it's also like how many generations has it been like that's like a huge change to go back and it's not like let's change something that happened last week and we all go back to our lives before then true and I also uh, I loved this scene where like before Eliana did that she she knew that if she went back in time and, and changed history she would never meet Simon 
she would never meet Harkin and she would never meet her brother. Like, her and her brother wouldn't know each other. And they had that scene, like, before they left where, like, they knew it was, like, the last time they were going to be able to spend together. And that was just, like, so heart-wrenching, but, like, in such yeah. a good way. And I'm glad that they're acknowledging that because that's, like, my whole worry. But yeah. I'm also just curious to see how this all gets resolved. I sort of feel like you can't go back and actually undo it all. Like, I hope that's not the actual solution. Yeah, I hope they too. actually fix it in the modern, or not modern world, but in Eliana's timeline. Maybe with help from Riel. Mm. Like, if anything, I want Riel to come forward. Oh. I don't know. I, I am excited to read the third book, though. I really do love this world, and I love the concept behind it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Did you do any research this week? Okay, so I tried to find some time travel rules that people should just agree on. Oh, okay. Because again, this is just like a thing that bothers me. And we're also watching, have you ever watched Umbrella Academy? No, I haven't seen that actually. Well, my husband and I have started watching that recently and there is like a time travel component in there that's also, like it's probably the doing both at once that I'm like, time travel is like a convenient thing that doesn't actually make sense. (laughs) Um, So I looked at a few different articles about it, but these are kind of just like general rules to make time travel work in your story. The first one is traveling into the future is easy so the the main argument there is really that we're actually doing that already it's just we're at a constant rate of a second per second or whatever so if you like you're already going to the future but if you can get there faster as long as you Mm. don't come back in time like it can help your story without getting like complicated with did you undo something or not traveling into the past is hard but maybe not impossible so like in theory traveling back in time is possible but it gets that's when you start to get into these tricky like if you go back and change something then it never would have happened so you in the future you wouldn't have needed to go back and change it Mm. and can't you like erase yourself accidentally by going back in time yeah so it's called the i think it's called the grandfather paradox which is essentially if you like go back and meet your grandfather or change something for your grandfather then your father will never be born and you'll never be born and so then you wouldn't exist to go back anyways. Like, there's all these, like, weird things that get circular logic that, like, doesn't make sense. The other one that I thought was interesting was the bootstrap paradox. So, Ooh, like, the example in one of the articles was, like, say you're a huge Beethoven fan and you can go back in time and you're like, I'm going to go say hi to Beethoven because he's the coolest. And you're, like, you know, you bring all of his music, all the stuff that you love about him, and you just, like, can't wait to meet him. And you go back, and he's just, like, not doing his Beethoven thing. He's just sitting on the couch. And you're, like, oh, my goodness. Dude, you have to write this music. And you, like, hand him all of his music and then go back. And then you, in the future, think Beethoven wrote it. But Beethoven, in the past, thinks some crazy guy just, like, handed him this music or whatever. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's just kind of funny to think about some of this stuff (laughs) that honestly sounds like a book right there in the making (laughs) I think it might have been like a tv show or something like Mm. a a lot of these were examples from probably books or tv shows um and so this is also where some books will use it as like parallel universes so instead of actually going back in time you like go to a different parallel universe where different decisions were made Mm. instead of like you're not actually on the same timeline anymore Basically, it's complicated and ugly, and I'm not the only person who has a problem with with some of this. I can't imagine trying to write a book about it and just keeping it straight and getting the science right, and, like, my brain just doesn't work that way. There was even, like, one article I was reading that was, like, you want to be sciencey but not too sciencey because you need enough to, like, have it make sense but not so much that you, like, 
because we don't time travel today, like get to a point where it like you unmake it makes sense. <laughs> so I do like in this book, at least, it's not like everyone can time travel. It's the special power of a special type of person that's able to do this and they have to find the right threat. Like, at least it's kind of limited in that sense. Yeah, it does seem very dangerous, though. Like, I mean, even just the butterfly effect of like going back in time and saying one thing differently. Like, Yeah, that was another one that they talked about. Yeah. So if you ever find yourself traveling in time yeah what should we do what are some tips don't mess with yourself is the first one what is what does that mean like don't interact with yourself yeah and I, I think like don't even go back to high school and like try and prevent something embarrassing from happening to you just like mm-hmm. live your life from then on in this other timeline don't mess with your ancestors for the reason we just explained earlier that you don't want to like prevent yourself from existing <laughs> don't mess with historical figures and don't kill hitler um <laughs> which is just basically saying like, yeah, it would be great if you could... Prevent certain things. I think this happens in movies a lot, right? Like, if you killed Hitler when he was a child, and, like, then World War II would never happen, but what would happen instead, like, could be way could worse. Be, could be worse. Oh, okay. Instead of trying to, like, go back and, like, prevent bad things from happening to everyone you know, or create, bring a vaccine from the future back, again, you're just messing with too much, and it, it'll have bigger impact. So what, it, like, even something small would have a big impact that might, that might make things worse. Yeah, and that gets to your butterfly effect thing, which is sweat the small stuff any small thing you do even if you only went back like 13 seconds or eight minutes or whatever could have a bigger impact than you realize but that's so weird because you think for something like really really bad like how could it get worse you know like it could be worse but it could maybe be better and is that like a risk that you're willing to take I think I would still kill Hitler. (laughs) I just, like, don't even want to be tempted to go back in time. I feel like if I had the ability, then I would overthink absolutely everything and wonder about stuff and possibly make things worse. Um, Use your time wisely. Prove it. So sometimes you'll have to convince someone that you're really from the future so that they don't think you're crazy and lock you up when you go back in time. And be aware in a world where time travel is possible it's likely that it's also illegal and you have to be aware of people trying to maintain the timeline essentially yeah that's what i would be worried about yeah well and you also don't want to go so far back that you're you can't build your time machine back to the future oh oh that would be awful if you went back in time and then got locked up for traveling back in time and couldn't get back to the future or back to the yeah, back to the future. <laughs> I don't know. There's, It gets complicated. I think people should just live at one second per second and make the most of it. Okay, if you could go back in time to any time in history, when would you go back in time? Well, the problem is I'm a woman, so there's actually very few time periods that I'd, like, as much as I'd want to go back, that I'd actually want to go back. I absolutely would not be a woman in this scenario. <laughs> okay. If you could go back as a rich white man, where what time in history would you go back to? That's a great question. I don't know. I like want to see so much of the yeah. world and different things, especially. I haven't, I haven't really thought about it from the rich white man perspective because that does change everything. Oh, yeah. This is a complete fantasy. You can be whoever you want to be. <laughs> what would you pick? I think I would go back to ancient Rome very briefly before I got sent off to war. I like it. I don't know. Like, if you could go on vacation to time. Like, instead of visiting Rome for a week, you could visit ancient Rome for a week. Yeah, that would be really cool. That would be cool. I feel like I I do this in real life, too, where I have, like, romantic ideas of things I would actually hate. Like, part of me is like, wouldn't it be cool to, like, be on the ship that, like, came to America for the first, you know, know, like, go on, like, some epic adventure? But then I'm like, no, that would actually be, like, the The worst thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. There's very few time periods that I think would be super desirable. I mean... 
I also feel like I can just think of like time periods with wars. Like I know wars right? are what are coming to mind. I'm like, when did we have peace in the world <laughs> or in an area? I don't know. Could I just like be part of the British royal family at a time when that was beneficial? Yeah, maybe I would be like a wealthy Englishman during like the Victorian time period where I would just go dance at a couple balls and like drink tea with a dowager countess for a day. I would do that. Or it'd be cool to like invent or help build the first airplane or like do something that was like actually changing the world in the time. I don't know. Yeah. Or I might just stay here and read my historic fiction and say that's good enough. (laughs) Well, that's all we got. So (laughs) I'm good with it. This time travel thing stresses me out, man. I don't, I don't want the option. Mm -mm. Yeah. If you had the option to go back in time, would you like truly? I mean, if it was like a one-off, like somehow I magically got the ability to do it just myself. I, I, I don't know. I sort of feel like if I had the option, I would because I'd be so curious, but I don't even want the option. I mean, the only way I would do it would be if there was a guarantee that I wouldn't mess anything up. Yeah. I would need some safeguards in place. I'd need to sign a contract. <laughs> yeah. It'd be cool if you could go back and like no one sees you. You can't mess anything up. You can just be like an observer floating around. That would be oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. That was one of the things from a, a standpoint. Like if you do stuff with memory or like the ability to witness past events as opposed to actually interacting and messing up the timeline, that would be cool. Hell yeah. I would do that in a heartbeat. <sighs> cool. Well, I researched sleep deprivation <laughs> because I was inspired by Eliana when she was trying to learn her powers and build her her castings she like realized that she could only call on her power when she was in some kind of mental or physical duress um or when her body was under stress Mm -hmm. so she was purposely denying herself sleep and food to try and release these powers so i was just kind of curious what happens when you deprive yourself of sleep oh my goodness well by the time this episode is posted i'll probably be able to tell you because i'll be living with a newborn true yeah (laughs) here's what you have to look forward to katie (laughs) tell me the signs so i know (laughs) So essentially, like, we need sleep because the brain needs time to repair cellular damage and to, like, remove toxins that accumulate during the day. And that's the general consensus of, like, why we need sleep. It's so our brain can do some housekeeping. And it's like we we don't know any other way to do that, right? Like, there is no, like, pill you can take. Or, no. Like, like, your body does need to sleep, specifically. Yes. Yeah. Some people have what's known as short sleeper syndrome and they're individuals whose their brain can clear itself of toxins and rest faster than other people so it's a gene mutation that's on a gene called DEC2 and if you have this you likely go to bed late like around midnight but then wake up around four or five so it's people who need fewer than six hours per night of sleep but can still function completely well and they don't experience any bad side effects of sleep deprivation sounds nice doesn't that sound amazing um they think margaret thatcher may have been one because she often said that she only needed four hours of sleep a night Hmm. um there was a woman who recently was talking about how it felt to have this syndrome this is from bbc future she said that The hours in the early morning around 5 o'clock were just so peaceful. They were like her favorite hours of the day because everything was quiet and she could get so much done. So she was basically like, yeah, I can go out and like exercise before anyone works up. I can talk to people in other time zones. Um, Because she doesn't need to sleep so often, she completed university in two and a half years and she's learned so many new skills 
I mean, what? We spend like a third of our lives sleeping. So that doesn't shock me, but it's just, yeah. So she decided one early morning to attempt to run around the block, and it took her 10 minutes. And then she ran further and further and further. Eventually, she ended up completing 37 marathons over three years. Wow. Because she just had time, and she was like, well, let's work out. (laughs) The funny thing is, even if I had the time, I don't think that's what I would do with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I love it, though. (laughs) I just read more. (laughs) Me too. Um, She did say that her dad was also a short sleeper, so they had this, like, special bonding time in the mornings where they would spend a lot of time together before everyone woke up, which I think is just so sweet. Are you a morning person or an evening person? I'm a morning person. I'm, I'm not an evening person. Yeah, I'm not. I'm so fascinated by mornings in general because they do sound so peaceful, but I cannot participate in them very well. Oh, really? <laughs> 2 a.m., I'm ready. I'm still up, but 6 a.m.? My ideal scenario is like in bed by 9.30 and up at like so really we should be doing this time change thing the opposite direction and we'd both be happier (laughs) we can meet in the middle (laughs) um what's funny is this woman said that now if she ever accidentally oversleeps her husband thinks she's dead (laughs) (laughs) oh man and she says she feels really terrible if she sleeps in like it just doesn't feel good so if you go without sleep for a while um so you can get symptoms of sleep deprivation even after just 24 hours of I believe it. of no sleep so your sleep cycle regulates the release of a lot of a lot of hormones so like cortisol insulin so it can have an effect on your appetite your metabolism your mood your stress level you can it can also affect your immune system um, because your inflammatory markers mm can start circulating at increased levels. And symptoms of sleep deprivation are irritability, impaired decision-making, memory deficiency, vision and hearing impairments, decreased hand-eye coordination, tremors, and in severe cases, you can start to hallucinate. Is it as simple as like, if you take a nap, it all goes away? Well, so that's interesting because the longest recorded time without sleep, so like the world record, is 264 hours, which is just over 11 consecutive days. The individual who did this, his name was Randy Gardner, and was in 1963. He did this, he was 17, and he decided to do this as part of a science fair to break the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh my goodness. He asked two of his friends to help him stay awake on rotations. So he, like, stayed away from beds. <laughs> just to like I guess remove the temptation but he started feeling really nauseous in the mornings and then he 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 was not able to remember things it was almost like he had early Alzheimer's and he said it was it was torture he finally broke the Guinness Book of World Records at two o'clock in the morning and they took him to a hospital so they could monitor his brain waves when he finally did go to sleep he said he slept for over 14 hours but over the next couple days or weeks, he didn't need any extra sleep other than that. It was like that sleep period of 14 hours regulated everything, and he, he went back to normal. That's crazy, though. I feel like we really don't give enough credit to the power of sleep. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't ever want to try this, but I just think it's amazing that like one night of rest restored him. It's pretty amazing. Well, um, do we want to talk about the next book? Let's do it. Last and final in the series. I know. I think it's my turn to read the back. So this book is called Lightbringer. 
Okay. Queen Riel, pushed away from everything she loves, turns to Corian and his promises of glory. Meanwhile, whispers from the Imperium slowly drive her mad, urging her to open the gates and free the angels. Separated from Audric and Ludovan, she embraces the role of Blood Queen and her place by Corian's side, determines to become the monster the world believes her to be. Okay, so maybe she's not just having a moment. (laughs) In the future, Eliana arrives in the Empire's castle as a broken shell of herself. Betrayed and abandoned, she fights to keep her power at bay and away from Corian, who will stop at nothing to travel back in time to Riel, even if that means destroying her daughter. Not a good move, Corian. No, we've learned from Katie that that doesn't work well. <laughs> um, but when the mysterious prophet reveals their identity at last, yes, everything changes, giving Riel and Eliana a second chance for salvation or the destruction their world has been dreading for millennia. Goodness. Interesting. So stakes have raised, but they both have a chance for redemption, it sounds like. And it sounds like we don't know who the prophet is at this point. <laughs> so it's not her father, I guess. Yeah. Or at least it hasn't been revealed as her father, I guess. Could still be him. Who knows? Maybe. Okay, I'm excited. Do you have a joke for me this week? What do you call an ugly dinosaur? Oh, I don't know. An eyesore. <laughs> That's good. I like that. All right, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. And I'm up late. Marissa's up early, so reach out anytime. (laughs) Tell us if you've ever time-traveled or where you would go if you could. Yeah, or if there's other rules that I need to be aware of if I'm given the option. I'm sure there are. (laughs) All right, let's finish out the series for next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo designed by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.